A couple of weeks ago, I was sitting in the office having my time alone with God in the morning, and I was working through the book of Daniel, which we think was written about six or seven centuries prior to the coming of Christ into the world. Um, and I got partway through that book, and I stumbled across a vision which really became the inspiration for what I want to say to you this morning. May I tell you the vision? Well, I'm gonna. Daniel said it was the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. It was night, and in the night, I had a dream. And I saw the winds, the four winds of the earth coming over the sea, and they churned up the waters. And when the waves were tossing, I saw coming out of the sea four great beasts. The first beast was like that of a lion, but he had wings like an eagle, and he was given authority to rule over every part of the earth. And he preyed upon the innocent, and he killed his victims. And I looked, and out of the sea came a second beast, one that looked like a bear. And he had three ribs in his mouth. And he was told to fill himself with the flesh of all men. And I looked, and out of the sea came a third beast, one that looked like a leopard. Only he had four wings. And he seemed more terrifying than the previous two. And his power and his authority was even greater and further in its reach. And I looked and out of the sea came a fourth beast. And this one had teeth of iron and its claws were steel. And he was told and he was released to destroy millions across the earth and to not stop until he had trampled them. And then I looked and while others were taking their place on thrones, there was one like the Ancient of Days seated on a throne and his hair was white and his clothing was white and there was fire all around his throne and there was a river of fire coming out from the throne and there were thousands upon thousands there were a hundred million people surrounding him and from the throne he gave the orders and the court was in session and the book was opened. I found myself that morning thanking God for that last scene, the scene of one seated on a throne because it felt then and it feels now this morning, church, like we are in a time of incredible chaos it seems as if the violence 
just the mindlessness, the evil, the loss of respect and dignity for human life just goes further and further. And the casualties and the losses are mounting up. And I found myself that morning grateful that there was one like the Ancient of Days seated on a throne surrounded in fire with fire coming out from it. I was grateful that there was a day when the books were opened and the court was in session when people would be judged according to their deeds. And then I kept reading and at the end of that chapter it says, And then I looked and there was one like the son of a man. And he was coming in the clouds. And as he approached the ancient of days, he was led into the presence of the ancient of days. And he was given authority and power and sovereignty to rule over all the earth. And people from every nation and tribe and tongue began to worship him. For his was a dominion and a power that will never end. And he began to establish a kingdom, said Daniel, that will never be destroyed. And when I read it, it occurred to me he was describing the ascension. In the midst of a world that was full of evil and chaos, Daniel was seeing hundreds of years into the future a day when one like the Son of Man would be lifted up at the Father's right hand, and he would rule this world, every square inch of it, with dominion and power and authority. That is our message today, church. This is a time when people worry whether the church has a future. We worry whether the Christian religion is being diluted with ideas from other religions. We worry that the evangelists of today are not as bold as they used to be. We wonder if they're even as convinced as they used to be. We worry about the future of the world. We look around and see chaos, and it seems like things are getting worse instead of better. This is the time when we need to remember that we worship one who is seated on a throne in the heavens. Ah, can I just spend the next few moments and talk to you for a minute about something you say you believe? I want to talk about the authority of Jesus Christ. That all right with you? Two of you like it. The rest of you aren't sure. I want to talk to you about the dominion, the power, the glory, the splendor, the majesty, and authority of Jesus Christ. Is that okay with you, church? I'm going to need your help. Let's go back to the day that it happened. 
Luke says in the first chapter of Acts that they were seated at a table. It was not in a field, says Luke. They were seated at a table. It was the middle of a meal when Jesus turned and said to the disciples, wait, do not leave the city until you are baptized with power from the Holy Spirit. Wait. Do not worry. Do not run and try to make something happen. Wait. And when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then something will happen. When the disciples heard this, they said to Jesus, is this the day that you're finally going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said more or less, well, yes and no. Yes, I am going to restore the kingdom, but no, not all at once. Yes, I'm going to give it to you, but no, it isn't yours. I'm going to give the kingdom to you like I'm giving you to the world. So you will not be the recipients of the kingdom. You will be the channels of it. And the more of it you give away, the more you will have. And it was while he was saying this, said Luke, that he stepped away and was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Literally, he was taken up and stepped into a cloud. Let's be clear, if we can, about what happened here. Because so much of our hope comes out of this. When Jesus was taken up, he did not go up and out. He went over and in because heaven and earth are not two different locations. They are two different dimensions in the same location. So when he was ascended, Jesus did not move to another planet. He moved over and in to another dimension with another set of rules that govern space and time. That allows him to be fully present now in both dimensions at the same time. This is why he could say, I will never leave you or forsake you and a moment later actually leave. Because now he can be present in heaven and on earth. It's why he would say, I go to prepare a place for you. And then a few verses later in John 14 say, the Father and I will come and make our home with you. So you would wonder, well, wait a minute. Are you going to go and make a place or are you going to come and live with me? And the answer is yes. So we did not go up and out He went over and into the heavens and he did not leave. He returned to the Father 
came and brought heaven with him in the incarnation, and then he took earth with him into the heavens in the ascension. So this is not Jesus abandoning his plan. This is not Jesus saying, well, I'm done here, I'm moving on. This is Jesus finishing what he started at Christmas. He said, if I go back to the Father, you have access to things you would not have had if I didn't go back. He said, if I go back, I prepare a place for you. He said, if I go back, those who believe in me will be able to do the things that I have done even more, even greater things than I have done because I go to the Father. He said, if I go back, I will send another comforter, like an advocate, to be for you everything I was, only he will be in you and not just next to you. And when this advocate comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness. He will guide you into all truth. He will tell you things about the future that I could not tell you because you were not ready. He will take from what is mine and he will make it known to you. But this cannot happen if I don't go back to the Father. And when he returned, he didn't return as just another member of the Trinity. He returned in flesh, yours. Wounds and all. seated at the Father's right hand. That is such a powerful image. When Peter is at that meal, Peter sees this. And 10 days later, this image of Jesus rising up and into the heavens is indelibly stamped in Peter's mind. He's in a city, Jerusalem, with hundreds of thousands of religious people there. Some not so religious people from every nation and tribe in that area have gathered in one location. And the disciples are still a little bit rattled at what has just happened. But Peter has in his mind that moment when Jesus was suddenly taken up and stepped into the cloud that a new boldness and authority comes over Peter, which I think, church, we badly need this kind of authority in our message today. Peter stands up in a crowd like that and he says, Men and women, listen to me. God has raised this Jesus up. This Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and 
king. And we are all witnesses of this fact. Can you see the authority and the boldness it would give the church if we could once again capture a vision that the Jesus we're talking about is not just a prophet. He's not just a moral teacher. He's not an idea. He's not a theology. He's not even your personal savior. He is Lord, ruler, sovereign, and king of the entire world. Man, that ought to wake us up. I'm the only one in the room that feels that this morning. That would bring a power and a lift and an authority. We would step into conversations and without being belligerent and obnoxious and dogmatic, we could be gracious and kind. We could defer to others. But when it came to Jesus, we would be confident and we would not be ashamed. So much of what passes for courtesy in conversations today is not courtesy, it's fear. God make us fully convinced. That's who he is and that is where he's at. He is the first and the last. He is the beginning and the end of all creation. He is the center and He holds all things together. He is the most important figure in the history of the world. In fact, He is the place where all history is going to converge. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is power and splendor and majesty. Everything in heaven and on earth belongs to him. Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 10, he is even now taking every square inch of this world and bringing it under the authority of one person, Jesus Christ. This is a long, arduous, and sometimes interrupted process. But God is surely and certainly going to bring all of history and all of creation under himself until he hands it over to the Father so that God will finally be all in all. That's a big old deal. I am not ashamed. The most amazing thing about this is what he's doing now. We often talk about what Jesus did, the death, the resurrection. We talk about what he will do, the second coming. We don't talk much about what he's doing now. Paul says he was ascended to the Father's right hand and he makes intercession for us. Paul says, 
where the writer of Hebrews says, we have a high priest who has gone through the heavens. So let us be courageous and hold firmly to what we believe. Let us not be shy or withdrawn. And let us go ourselves boldly with him to the place where the Godhead meets. There are times in my life when I need a priest. I'm a pastor and a semi-theologian. I'm a counselor, an encourager, shepherd, sometimes a priest. But there are times, church, when I need a priest. I don't need a teacher, a counselor, a theologian, because the real problem under all other problems that I wrestle with are not psychological and they are not theological. They are sacramental. And I need someone to get in that room and have a conversation about me with the triune God. There are seasons in my life where I get weary and tired and distracted. I say yes to too many things. I can't remember what I said yes to. I find myself doing everything, and so I don't do anything with excellence. I start to lose sight of the thing I was given to do. I start losing energy and losing patience, and it makes me vulnerable and afraid, and I get touchy, and I overreact. I don't need someone to come in and sit down and have a conversation about the psychology of this. I need someone to come in and say, you are worried and upset about many things. Only one thing is necessary. I need someone who made me to come in and sit on the floor with me and tell me again why I was put here and bring centrality and focus to all of this sideways energy. I need a priest. There are times when we have done things that make us ashamed. We find ourselves confessing to that same sin that we're supposed to be over. And instead of driving us to God, it makes us afraid of God. We're ashamed of ourselves. And so we hide from God. And we need someone to come to us like the woman of Samaria and sit down at the well at high noon when all of the other priests are gone for the day. Someone who knows every last the detail of our lives, what we confess and what we don't. Call it out. Forgive it and release it 
and say you are clean, you may go. I need a priest. There are times when I am hurt. I have prayed and prayed until I am out of words. In the words of C.S. Lewis, I have pounded on the door of heaven only to hear the sound of bolting and double bolting from the inside. When I need answers, most of all, I get nothing but utter silence. And what I need is someone on the inside of that room who has my wounds in his hands and mud from this earth on his feet. I need someone who knows every weakness and limitation and fear and desire and idol and grudge that I may hold and take it with him into that room and have a conversation with Almighty God on my behalf. I don't need a shepherd for this. I need a priest. There are times when I am confused because they say one thing this moment and something else the next and I can't make sense of it all but I have to make decisions and I know that every decision I make is going to get hit by somebody and I can't remember who it is I was supposed to please. I don't even know what is right anymore. I don't need someone to come and bring clarity to this. I need someone to get into a room and say to God, well, this is what he prayed, but this is what he meant. This is what he needs. He doesn't have language for this. Let me speak for him on his behalf. I need a priest. Church, you need a priest. And I know that that word is kind of, it, it brings fear to some of you. Because you think that it's going to make you too, I don't know what it is, but you're worried about that. Imagine that you are at the last supper with Jesus. Jesus has just predicted one more time that he will be crucified. And you, like Peter, you are bold. And you say to Jesus, look it, I will go with you to the very end. I am prepared to follow you and I am prepared to die for you. And then Jesus says what you would not expect. He calls you by name and says, Simon, Simon. Satan is already asked to sift you like wheat. And he'd do it. But I've prayed for you. And your faith won't fail. So when you return, you strengthen the brothers. Like, like, like Simon, we tend to overestimate our loyalty. We overestimate 
our courage, our piety. We overestimate our place among the church. We don't think that we're capable of doing anything like denial because we think we know what is in our heart. Like Simon, we imagine ourselves to be a leader. We are only hours away from the worst moment of our lives. We imagine that we are fully in control of our faculties. We have no idea we are hanging by a thread over an abyss. We are no match for the forces that have allied themselves against us. We don't even know what those forces are. We have no chance. But we have a priest. We have someone on the inside who has had a conversation with Almighty God for our souls and our families. And we would be thankful for this, except most of the time, we don't even know he's doing it. Church, thank God you have a priest. Because you need one. I don't even know if you believe in them, but you need one. Because you need that conversation to be had constantly for your sake. 